Hey, welcome to the Pharmacy Residency Podcast, a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I wanted to talk to you today about uh, LinkedIn and, uh, of course, the uh, residency match rates. So some of you have kind of maybe, I don't want to say dismissed LinkedIn, but um, it's okay, well, it's something that people do. It's kind of like a CV and things like that. But uh, LinkedIn has really become the the social media site that you need to be on as you're kind of looking for a job and to kind of stay with what's going on with other pharmacists what's going on with the profession uh, i found that it's it's really good i again i i dismissed it because i'm not really looking for another job i would be very happy if i stayed at this position for the next 12 years and retired with the state pension uh, ipers or whatever it is and that would be very happy for me because I it gives me the flexibility to do things like this and to, to contribute in this way. So uh, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am Tony PharmD. Uh, you can go to linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash T-O-N-Y-P-H-A-R-M-D uh, and then just <clears throat> send an invite to connect. I think that it's really important that now as we're looking into the recession, that we have more networking connections you're going to find that it's a lot easier to make those connections before you need them uh, than later so who knows you never know i may something might happen with enrollment that's really drastic that i need a new position or something like that but yeah i'm hoping to continue teaching chemistry pharmacology as a professor as we move on so today what i'm going to do is i'm going to talk a little bit about the match rates and kind of been getting used to how do I really you know, disseminate information on LinkedIn, how do I do that? And uh, what I've found is that uh, I will first now post something and then I will do the detailed episode on the Pharmacy Residency Podcast and then I will put that out in the newsletter. And uh, if you, again, want to check that out, the way to do it is to, and I just Googled it. I'm sure there's better ways to do it, but I just Googled pharmacy residency podcast newsletter LinkedIn, and you just hit the subscribe button. So we just broke a thousand subscribers. Uh, again, I've been doing this for a couple weeks, and hopefully this is helpful. But now we're going to take a deep dive into match rates and how valuable they are to you, but also how valuable they are in evaluating residency sites. All right. So this is the post uh, that I had and I titled it, Are the Top 15 Colleges of Pharmacy by Residency Match Rate Really the Best Colleges? And I wanted to contrast the U.S. News and World Report best colleges or best pharmacy schools list because when you go to a school, obviously, if you're majoring in one thing, there's a much better college for that than another. And if we think of residency as maybe a path or even a major, it really makes a lot more sense to go to certain colleges than it does to go to other colleges. Now, I talked about interview rate, that is how likely it is that you're going to get an interview in the first place, or how likely it is that you'll be able to rank someone really. Then I'm going to talk about persistence rate after this episode, which is a combination of when people started and how they ended up. And I think that is truly better than match rate 
because there are some issues with match rate in terms of uh, artificially high or artificially low uh, based on what happens in terms of getting interviews. So because match rate is supposed to be the gold standard, it's what most schools put on the front of their web page, you know, our students matched at 70% or 80%. And really what we want to do is compare that and say, well, where's the middle? Well, the middle is right around 77%. That after someone got an interview, then 77% of those people uh, actually matched. But that's not you know, looking at the people at the very beginning, that's not what, how many ended up at the end. It's really two out of three. And I'll talk about that in the persistence rate. But what I want to do is definitely contrast how the U.S. News and World Report rankings don't fit what would be a really good school to get a residency or at least have a very high match rate. Okay. So let's look at the top kind of schools and let, let's look at you know their characteristics so mcphs manchester matched at 100 percent this is a satellite campus of mcphs i know there's one in worcester there's one in boston and this one is not on the list i'm assuming because it's relatively new or something like that it's really unusual that you would break down match rate by satellite campus because there are some schools that have satellite campuses and I'm a little bit surprised that that happened. Now it's a big school and I guess to some extent it makes sense, but University of Florida has satellite campuses. Idaho State has satellite campuses. Some Creighton has more than one campus. So I'm surprised that they would kind of split it up in this way. But technically, if you're asking what school got the highest match rate, this would technically be it. But if you put MCPHS together, that would be a different number. The true top school is the University of Finlay, and hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Husson and Finlay, those are two that I really struggle to pronounce. What's crazy is that although it has the highest match rates in the country and the highest persistence rate in the country and that means that from the group that began the journey registered with the match and at the end it is the very highest in the nation u.s news ranks it at 108th how is that possible if you are a fan of oh my gosh the guy who wrote david and goliath malcolm gladwell <laughs> oh my gosh he talks a little bit about U.S. news, and he is not a fan. What this algorithm does is it really prioritizes things like, you know, how much a school can spend per student, but also how big is the endowment? How rich is the school and things like that? And so when you see North Carolina, which has a match rate that is fractionally different from Finlay, but these schools are miles apart. Well, literally, they're miles apart. But they're miles apart in their size and scope and, and those types of things. U.S. News is saying, okay, with all the things that you would want out of a college, North Carolina is probably one of the best in the country if you're going to pharmacy school, especially if you get in-state tuition. But if you are going for something very specific like getting a residency and you want a more intimate 
environment, then University of Finlay would probably be a very good choice. But that's not how US News looks at it. This is the difference between first and 108th. So again, if you are at a private college of pharmacy, US News is not kind to private schools because in general, their endowments are gonna be smaller. I mean, you've got like Northeastern that I think has like a $2 billion endowment or something like that. But in general, these tiny schools uh, with very small classes, very intimate environments, uh, something that certain people would want over a large state school. Uh, again, uh, US News is not, is not kind to them. And I'll, and I'll show you that this is the case. Uh, number fourth came at University of Toledo, 94.44%, but they were 57th with US News. Thomas Jefferson, 93.94%, they were 53rd. So here you have the top five schools for match rate. One is not on the list at all. One was 108th, one was 57th, and one was 53rd. Only one of those five schools ends up in the top five. So it's not really the best thing for some of these schools to not have their own list. And that's why I wrote that pharmacy school rankings for residency. I've never taken a class at a private school in my life since Catholic school in first through eighth grade. I rejected myself from all the private schools. And I'll tell you why. I was ignorant of the admissions process. And I scored relatively high on the PSAT, which is kind of like that pre-SAT, or I don't remember what it was. And I scored a 1200, and I didn't even know what the test was. They just told us one day, hey, we have to take this test. And then I studied for it, you know, self-study. I never got to go to a Kaplan or a Princeton Review or anything like that, and I scored 1380 on the SAT, which is okay. It's not super great, but uh, if I had understood the process, I would have really studied for the PSAT and then definitely done better on the math with the SAT. The point is that because my parents gave me a budget and every single private school was over that budget, as I got all these letters because of my SAT scores and PSAT scores, I recycled every single one that was from a private college because I didn't understand the difference between sticker price that some of the wealthiest people pay, but really that's maybe five to 10% in some cases. And what people actually pay to go to a private college, I really would have done well to have had that kind of small intimate atmosphere and really kind of disappointed I can't go back in time and, and do that. But what I did was I ended up in the Honors College at the University of Florida. So I would have that, that smaller group. And, and then because I was so late in getting into the Honors College, I didn't get in the Honors dorm. I was, it was actually across the way. Uh, and I ended up in uh, South Hall, which is now called like Reichert or something like that. They changed the name of it. But I was in Gainesville and uh, I ended up you know, being in honors. And so I had a little bit of, of that kind of smaller atmosphere. But then when I went to the University of Maryland, and this is something to think about, sometimes when you're talking about the, the flagship school, it's not at the big campus like College Park, which was half an hour to the south. It was actually at a small medical campus. And when I say small, it was 6,000 people. But that was really neat to, to go from College Park, which was kind of the, okay, Saturdays are football and stuff like that, to downtown. But you could still go to the flagship school. You could still go to games, things like that. All right, well, let's kind of continue on. Uh, University of Pittsburgh and Medical College of Wisconsin come in at six. And this is where I really want to 
take a deep dive because Medical College of Wisconsin is a three-year school. Historically, and with the data that we have now, most three-year colleges of pharmacy do not match well. Why is that? Well, when you are accelerating things, it makes it really hard to get on those, you know, to have activities outside of school. Basically, if you're working a nine to five job, you know, that's a lot of work to meet with your friends and to meet in organizations and then to have a part time job where you're working at a hospital and those types of things. But I think because Medical College of Wisconsin is associated with a medical school, associated with a medical center, um, really came out of that. And they have small classes. I want to say their classes are around 40 to 50 students. Uh, it, I think that they're just at that kind of three bears exact right point. They are at a place where they could get residencies but are also interacting interdisciplinary with other health professionals. They're not too small that it's like a grade school classroom where you have like 20 people. And they're not too big where there's like 100 or 150. And, and I went to a school with 100. You know, the smaller organizations made it more intimate and smaller. But I think this is really the outlier where you really, if I was somebody at a three-year, I was a dean at a three-year college of pharmacy and I looked at my match rate and I wasn't happy with it, I would talk to these guys and ask them, what are you guys doing? But I, I think that it's that instead of being out in some rural environment or some um, smaller suburb that's not right next to a medical center, I think they're the opposite where they're associated with a medical center and uh, the medical center kind of gave birth to this college of pharmacy and the three-year program so if you have a three-year program and you want good results for residency this is the place to go but here's what's crazy it's not even on the u.s news list it's so new and i think this is one of those things where wow you know we tried something new uh, we went from medical school first to pharmacy school Maybe that's uh, one model that really helps with residency. Uh, University of Rhode Island, I've talked to students there. I know they're great. Uh, and they came in 98th uh, on the residency list, but 40th in US News. And I'm gonna assume that Rhode Island, smaller school, uh, didn't have the size endowment and those things, but University of Nebraska Medical Center is not huge either. Uh, and they came in 28th, so, uh, but, eighth and ninth on our list of residency match rates. Per Purdue University, again, we, we expect these uh, flagship schools, which is what we're looking at with Purdue, Wisconsin, Connecticut, West Virginia, Michigan, and Mississippi. And what I wanna make a point of with these schools is that if you are in a state that has these high matching schools, you're in a lot of trouble uh, in terms of getting residencies in the state from out of state. So this is what I mean. When you're competing in-state, in general, you're gonna see half of the students from a school go to an in-state residency. And in some places where the in-state school isn't as strong at getting residencies, you have a good chance coming in from out of state to get that residency. But man, if you're coming in and it's like Michigan or West Virginia, Connecticut, Wisconsin, Purdue, Mississippi, uh, Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, um, North Carolina, you're competing with students that not only 
are in state, high match rate, historically doing well, but they've probably had an appy there. And so you're coming in with a one day or half day interview, maybe on Zoom, against somebody who's been there for five weeks. So it's when you're looking at residencies, consider the strength of the state school. So when you're coming in saying, oh, you know, I want to do a, a residency in Michigan, I'm not saying don't apply to residencies in Michigan. I'm just saying, ooh, you got the 14th highest matching school in the country, and you got a lot of students coming from there. That's going to be tough. Oh, I want to do a residency in Wisconsin. Okay, but just letting you know, Wisconsin is down the road, and they've done a bunch of appies there too. Same with Connecticut and Mississippi and so forth. And where you really run into trouble is low populous states. So I would assume that if you're in Rhode Island, there are not going to be quite as many residencies as there are in Michigan. And you can take a quick look and see that the PGY1 list in Rhode Island only has 11 residencies. And this doesn't include how many actual residents are there. You could figure out that number. Uh, and then many of them are candidate and pre-candidate status. So it's good we're seeing new residencies continue to come around. But when you look at Michigan, I mean, you got 47 different residency sites. So more than four times as many. Okay. So I think Rhode Island would actually be an even more difficult uh, place to get a residency because you've got a top matching school, I mean, eighth in the country, and you've got a small state with fewer residencies. So when you're looking at it, just go, okay, well, just acknowledge that, you know, Rhode Island, that's going to be a little bit tougher than, than Michigan to get a residency and so forth. So a lot of factors to think about. Uh, what I also want to do with match rate and kind of flip this switch before we get to the 20 minute mark here is have a look at the people that are in residency. So now that you're kind of choosing a residency site, uh, you really want to take a look at, okay, where are these students coming from? And so while we're looking at uh, this, you know, you can look at the Detroit Medical Center and the residency, the residence here. And when you, you know, LinkedIn these guys, you're going to find a ton of Michigan, which is, you know, way up there in our list at number 14. Then Wayne State is number 19 in match. And then the other Michigan school, Ferris State, that's going to be in the 50s. So uh, all of them uh, really, I think it was like, no, 61. It came in 61 in the match. So you're talking about three schools, high ranking, uh, good match rates. So the DMC is going to be tough to get into. So you're like, well, are there, is there anybody from out of state? Sure, there's somebody from UCSF, uh, one of the top schools in the country also. So uh, it's, again, when you're looking at your chances and odds, uh, really do take the time to start looking at the, the residents and look at their match rates of their schools and where they're coming from. And there's two sides to this. Are there so many Michigan graduates, and I mean Michigan, Ferris State, Wayne State, because that's where they would want to apply. They want to stay in the state. That's what they're familiar with. Or is it because that's who they take and that's who they add appies with? So it kind of is, you know, which comes first, the cart or the horse. All right, well, we're right at 20 minutes, so I'm going to end there. Um, but um, I am really working 
quite a bit now with the letters of intent. If you just want to kind of check it out, the if you have Kindle Unlimited, you can check out the strong residency letter of intent, which is the more general one, or strong re ambulatory care residency letter of intent uh, by Callie Abramowitz and myself, uh, where we kind of take a deep dive into ambulatory care letters of intent, which is going to be quite a bit different. And what we do is we go through her journey uh, as she went toward uh, residency and and how she did it and how she got uh, into an ambulatory care residency and now uh, she's got her dream job uh, that she wanted after residency so I just can't tell you letter something that you have to do I know you just probably turned into your preset or your CV and and then they give you kind of a grade on it and maybe use the template from ACCP those are terrible uh, and you just kind of filled in the blanks, you just changed the words. If you use the letter of intent as a form of discovery as to where you're going to go, you can have a much higher chance of matching because you took the time to really think about, okay, well, what do I really want out of this? Rather than, okay, um, I want to express my deep interest in your residency, insert the residency here. It was wonderful to meet your residents at ASHP Midyear. The hint put in their names there. Uh, I'm interested in this, this, or this. Right? If you get it down to a single PGY2 or single career path, you're going to be in a much stronger position. So, I'm digressing. Match rate. It's important. It tells you a lot. It tells you not only what your chances are, but also. Uh, gives you a strength of the program that you're applying to. If you use it in that way, I think that you can find those sites where you would have a much better chance of matching, but also that you would be much happier at. So, uh, as always, I'm Tony Guerra, Tony the Pharmacist at gmail.com. If you want to talk to me, want to work one on one with me, residency.teachable.com. I can help you with your letter of intent, I can help you with your interview. Um, you want something like that um, having some people ask me to, to help them one-on-one -on -one, uh, that's fine as well uh, so again it's just kind of easiest we just kind of talk by email and, and kind of figure out what it is you need and see if I can serve you in that way